0: hello and welcome to episode six of dissecting philosophy with dr mcdonald In our previous episodes, we've read through and had a nice good discussion about the prologue section of Nietzsche's Thus Spoke Zarathustra. In this episode, we're going to have a more general discussion and touch upon several themes that happen throughout the prologue. So we'll be looking at philosophy and its relationship to prophecy, philosophers and idolatry, and philosophers being treated as idols, philosophy and herd mentality, and philosophy as a way of life. So I think this is just a nice little way for us to touch upon things that we've not really discussed really in the previous episodes, and also to have a nice sort of summary and going back over a little bit what we've touched upon before. So let's get rolling So we have a relation of Zarathustra to being a prophet, and philosophy and its relation to prophecy. So traditionally within philosophy we think of it as this intellectual discipline, one that's filled with sort of wise people, old men in togas, people who run around and have a specific structure and view of the world and concepts and ideas and this then affects exactly how we think of the world and all a very much positive idea here of ultimately providing a basis and foundation for our understanding of the world but with Zarathustra we have this relationship to prophecy and Zarathustra being a prophet and we don't think of prophets as wise people, we think of them as more crazy people who have ideas of the future, or have ultimately this vision of things in which it's horrific, and uh, we try to just dispel their view of things, but here there's this sense of developing philosophy and its close relation between prophecy or soothsaying as well in which there is within philosophy this whole sense of a diagnosis and a symptomatology so within philosophy ultimately it diagnoses the world and identifies a set of symptoms, and that is a set of problems that is identified within the world. And so we can have this, for instance, in Plato, as which we've discussed quite a few times before in previous episodes, where what Plato starts to problematize and identifies symptoms is experiential knowledge, and the problems that we have with ultimately a scientific understanding of the world. And for Plato, this is problematical because of the constant change that happens within the world. And it's a quite an easy thing to understand in the sense of if a thing is in a constant state of change, or becoming is the posh philosophical way to say it, if a thing's in this continual state of change, then exactly how can we define it? Is it at this point or is it at that point? And how can we arrive at a definite meaning of something in that case? So, philosophers in this sense are not these wise people, not these superior intellectuals, but rather this self soothsayers in which they have the same sense of identifying a problem. And then the solution is to be based one on trying to attract people, attract their attention through the sense in which you're going to be sort of twofold. On the one hand, wanting to seduce the person, of course, through the rhetoric. And that is the way in which the use of language and through the argument, there's going to be seduction into that. Oh, look how good the person's able to talk, and look how great the argument is presented to us. And on the other hand, there's also having to present that alternative view or concept or idea, in which you're then going to say, well, through this, we can reach a much better understanding of the world. And of course, depending on who you go to, it's going to be varying in what exactly that seductive idea is going to be is it going to be the cogito that famous I think therefore I am for Descartes is going to be the idea with capital big I for Plato and so forth and what happens in each of these given states is that there's this emphasis upon a future state that's to say these are the problems that are happening now with this idea or with this concept and through this philosophical method we could ultimately arrive at a better future for ourselves if we adopt it so ultimately we've got to adopt whatever method that we're going for in order for our future to be better and in this way it's really that nietzsche is saying here that philosophy is no better than prophecy in the same sense that both philosophy and soothsaying and prophecy both emphasize this future state both want to have the seduction of the general public have their adoption of the ideas of that and then have everyone move towards them as this sort of cult figure and cult leader through their adoption of whatever method that they're dealing with so within philosophy then we have this always push towards a grand sort of figurehead grand method in which it's always going to lead us towards the correct view of things lead us towards the correct understanding if only we follow what they say of course and Nietzsche's point is that We get so caught up and so enamoured with whoever that we're dealing with, Plato, Descartes, Kant, that ultimately we lose sight of the fact that it's ultimately only just one person's viewpoint. It's only one person's perspective about things. There's always going to be another person's view that's going to challenge theirs. And that we should never get caught up in this sort of idolatry that happens of people because we forget about precisely the critical aspect of philosophy we forget about the fact that philosophy is a method that teaches us to think for ourselves to teach us the skills to be able to critically think but what ultimately happens is that you just read someone's viewpoint, you agree with someone's viewpoint and then you just say whatever person's view is that you agree with because they've been great at you and then you just become this massive advocate for whoever it is that you've read and loved. And here we have the sense in which philosophy also has this sort of cult mentality built within it and its association to organized religion as well. In the same sense that in organized religion, of course, you have whichever spiritual text you want to have, and then you have a bunch of people all following that text, word for word. And what Nietzsche also makes us think about here is do we really want to treat philosophy the same here? Do we really want to treat it like you've got to follow this exact tenant exactly as this person says? shouldn't we actually be more critical about how we think about things shouldn't we be more critical about what this person says here rather than just adopting exactly what they say at complete face value for things and so for Zarathustra and what Nietzsche is doing here in the prologue is there almost is a great irony at work as well it's like to say well on the one hand what has traditionally philosophy and religion done is present everything in the f- form of a figurehead for that viewpoint and then we obviously have everybody and following whoever it is and so we have this as he says the herdsman and the herd mentality about things with a focus on the future and then we have of course this emphasis away move away from the world, away from the body, away from this view of change, there's a thing that's good for us as well, and towards this basis, it's always the same, move towards metaphysics, move towards the soul, and so forth, and of course, the irony is, is that Nietzsche presents us with a very comparable model in which we have again Zarathustra as the figurehead and then we have coming forth the tenant of that philosophy what's it going to be based upon as the superman and so it's kind of humorous to think of way in which Nietzsche is saying here we've always used to it fed to us this way but the way I'm going to feed it to you this time Or the way in which I'm going to give you this concept is going to appear like it has before, but ultimately I'm going to switch it around completely the other way. So that is to say, rather than giving it these ideas of a figurehead and me ultimately saying everything and everybody therefore becoming like my herd and I'm the shepherd, no. I'm going to do it in such a way in which I don't want that herd i don't want to be a herdsman in fact i want the companions as he says i want people to be friends to me i want people to challenge my opinion i want people to say actually wait a minute you're wrong there and so we have a much more dynamic idea coming here we don't have these absolute tents for things we don't have this absolute way in which we should think of things is much more flexible much more dynamic and why is this the case of course because if we move back to the world like we're saying then we want to challenge this move towards the future that keeps on happening every single time we don't want to focus on this future state but rather we want to focus on the present and the here and now is a very positive thing for us and why is that the case because if we don't focus on basically the end of our life what can we focus on is living now is a good point and it's not a new point in any given way but it's an important point nonetheless because previously we have epicurean philosophy in which he argues for epicurus that once you have remove your fear of death You've got nothing to fear anymore. And when you've got nothing to fear anymore in that fear of death, you can precisely start to live your life now. And for Epicurus, of course, what are we so caught up with when we fear death? Of course, the pain of death. But he says, when we die, there is no pain because when it happens, you're already dead. And so you've got absolutely nothing to fear. And once all that fear is removed, you can then start living your life in the present and it's a very comparable move that Nietzsche makes as well to remove this emphasis upon a future state and back into the here and now and this is why we have this continual image of going down away from the mountains down back into the world firming world being critical of the priest in the forest Who ultimately loves God's creation but ironically hates man but loves everything else. And for the concept of the Superman we can see how that fits into it all as well. Not as this pop culture form of the Superman that sort of appeared like DC Comics Superman. But rather it's sort of a rejuvenated way in which to think about the human species. Not as this frail species who's always in fear of a future state in fear of death but rather one that becomes much more confident much more life-affirming much more happier about themselves because they're not focused solely on suffering and dying and a good criticism here is the same as the one which you have Nietzsche's view of living dangerously that was dealt with in a previous episode as well because it's that view of if you move everything to focus on the present and life affirming that's all well and good but what what is it that you're actually saying is that is it not a focus upon living our lives in such a way that will cause us suffering anyway in such a sense as Does it not mean to therefore become an alcoholic or a drug addict? And it's precisely that point as well to say like, well, no. Because Nietzsche's view here is if we focus on the here and now and focus on affirming life, then it's to affirm all the positive things in with that. And it's not to say to be an alcoholic because that ultimately causes us Suffering and suffering for others. So rather, what Nietzsche is saying is that we need to move towards much more this life-affirming view of things, in which we need to view desire in a much more positive way. And of course, it's really easy example here of when someone has cancer. Of course, you've got the desire and will to want to fight and kick cancer right in the butt basically and so someone's got to go through the immense struggle and literally in a fight for their life with the cancer of course but through all that there's that affirmation of life itself and wanting to live there's not that resignation at any given point there's not a resentment towards life in fact it's quite the opposite whenever we're ill whenever I just go oh I'm ill oh dear me sometimes you do but ultimately you're like right I'm gonna get in there I'm gonna wipe my nose I'm gonna do whatever it is I'm gonna go take whatever it is cough medicine some lamb sip and we're gonna go in there and kick its freaking butt I'm not gonna just lay down and take this I'm gonna get in there and and show it what for and that's what Nietzsche says that what we do when we fight illness and when we fight disease and so forth is we're affirming life we're affirming our bodies and of course on a deeper level here we have what goes on within Nietzsche's own personal life and his own struggle with his own health problems sort of coming forth within his life to affect his own view of things and philosophy. And for those of the people that don't know as well that Nietzsche had to quit his job at uh, Basel, where he was a professor of philology, which is a study of ancient written languages, due to his health problems, which is reckoned that it was to do with dysentery problems haven't picked up from being a medic in the um i think it is the austro-hungarian war hopefully somebody can give me a little bit of correction on that if i'm wrong and so throughout his whole life as well we have nietzsche moving between southern france around switzerland and into northern italy for the majority of his life moving there due to health reasons of course he says In order to have this great weather. And to be good for one's, of course, body and temperament as you go. And so you have Nietzsche ultimately struggling throughout his life with this horrible health condition. But at the same time having a very positive effect on his overall mental view of things. and The way he thinks about things. That he never gives up. He never lets it get the better of him. Of course, some days everybody will have their better days than others and so on but like when you've got the cold you get in there and you kick its butt you never take it lying down and so we've got this very life affirming view of things coming out of Nietzsche's own personal health circumstances so overall for the prologue we can say that with the superman is that move back into affirming life the body the world in a positive way and being critical of the way in which people focus on a future state metaphysics moving towards the soul and away from the world and that's the way in which we have the move towards the end of the prologue section where Nietzsche says how do we create new values or Rather to say, how do we reach a different understanding of things, one that's healthier for us, is to have that move back into thinking of affirming life, affirming the world, affirming bodies, and treating knowledge as something that's much more dynamic and one where not one person's opinion should be dominant over all the others in fact it should be quite the opposite way we should be very critical whenever anybody tries to get like that so from this it's interesting that a philosophy that's completely against the sense of idolatry and is very critical of herd mentality that as we can see his sister's manipulation Is completely, of course, rubbish, completely absurd, because it goes against what the philosophy itself is arguing for. And of course, a good criticism of this is to say, well, any viewpoint, if you argue it either one way or for the complete opposite, of course, is going to nonetheless want to lead towards arguing for. The specific belief or opinion. However, this is what makes Nietzsche's own philosophy really interesting, and it's that sense from which we get at the end of Zarathustra, the sense of needing to be overcome, or to notice the fragility of one's own viewpoint, and sense of timeliness about the whole thing. So that's to say that our viewpoints and how we think about things is within stuck within a very much a time period and that we will ultimately be overcome by other people and other viewpoints and that's not something that's exclusive just to Nietzsche's philosophy or other different philosophies but also the sciences and so forth facts will be overcome as hypotheses in the future are proven and so on and so this is what makes Nietzsche's own philosophy really interesting is the sense of timeliness about it and the awareness that his own viewpoint at some point in time as well that will be overcome by other people thank you very much for listening to the episode i hope you enjoyed my general discussion of the prologue section in the next episode, we're going to be having a look at the section called the three metamorphoses. In which Nietzsche says, we've got to have three transitions in order to create new values in the world. We've got to move from being a camel into a line. And then finally, the last stage is that of a child. Feel free to drop me a little email for any questions at dissecting philosophy at gmail.com and I'm also on Twitter at I am a Robberman. Thank you very much for listening and I'll hope you join us next time.